You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. How's everybody? Let me get all my stuff put up. Well... I hope that you have all seen the movie Mary Poppins Returns. It, we took our grandchildren to see it. And uh, I asked my little grandson, his name's Colin, and he's eight years old. And I asked him, um, I said, he found out I was speaking today, and he, we were talking about it. And I said, well, you know, if you could tell the people something about the movie, what would you say? What would you want me to tell them? He said, well, if I was you, the first thing I would tell the people is it's a bad movie with a whole lot of singing in it. (laughs) So I didn't think it was a bad movie. I thought it was a really fun movie. It does have a lot of singing in it, so I understand all you guys out there that that's not your thing. I understand Mary Poppins may not be your thing. But um, I just want to start out by just kind of going over the movie for just a minute. I mean, this is our blockbuster series that we're doing. So... um, there's actually, this is um, a sequel to the movie, the original Mary Poppins in 1964 when Disney uh, came out with uh, Mary Poppins movie. And that movie is about uh, a family, Mr. and Ms. Banks. They have two children, Jane and Michael. And Mr. and Ms. Banks, they're really busy people. He's trying to climb the ladder. He works at the bank. He's trying to climb the ladder and be very successful. And she's involved with um, um, women's rights because it's said in 1910. And she's involved with women's rights and their right to vote. And so she's all caught up with that. And they just kind of see their kids as just um, they can't keep up with them. They can't keep a hand on them. And so they decide that they would hire a nanny. And, of course, if you've seen that movie, Mary Poppins comes and she literally blows all the other nannies away that are applying. And she gets the job. And just through her everyday life, she teaches the children and the Banks family about the things that are important in life. And she makes them realize that really the children aren't the problem at all. It's the adults, and all they need is just their attention. And at the end of the movie, everybody just goes out and flies a kite. Now, there's another movie that was, came out in 2013. It's called Saving Mr. Banks. I don't know if any of y'all saw that movie. That's a good movie. It doesn't have any singing in it that I can think, that I remember. And um, it's the story, though. Disney put this movie out also, and it's based on a true story. It's um, about P.L. Travers. She is the person who wrote the Mary Poppins books, and it's based on her life. And it's a really good movie, and I just wanted to throw that in there because in a minute I'm going to come back and I'm going to share something with you about that. And I just wanted you to know that, what that movie was about. But the movie we're talking about today is Mary Poppins Returns, and it's a recent movie, and it's about the Banks family once again, except Mr. and Ms. Banks are no longer living, and the children have grown up. Jane and Michael have grown up, and Michael, he has, um, he has ch- three children of his own, and um, Jane, she is, she's grown up also, and she's looking for the man of her dreams and you know they're just really caught up in their life but to me this movie is a little more serious than the first movie 
because we find that the Banks family is in a very desperate situation. Um, uh, Michael has just recently lost his wife, and so he's going through a lot of grief. The children are going through a lot of grief after losing their mother. And it's set during the Great Depression. So uh, one of the first things that comes up on the screen, it says, during the Great Slump. You ever been in a Great Slump? They were in a Great Slump. And they're experiencing financial problems. They're about to lose their family home, the home that Jane and Michael grew up in. Uh, Michael and his children are living in it. And because of a crooked banker who's trying to acquire all the land that he can um, to sell for his profit, he's about to foreclose on their family home. And Jane and Michael feel very desperate. They're about to lose their home. And they're already living in such grief and sorrow. And so then Mary Poppins, she returns. And, of course, she takes the children on magical adventures. And it's a happy, lively musical movie that when you um, at the end everything turns out good and at the end the motto becomes everything is possible even the impossible and Mary Poppins is not the only one that says that she has the whole uh, family saying that the children are saying everything's possible even the impossible even though they were going through a dark time even though it looked like there was no hope and even though they were living in a lot of sadness and pain they would say, their motto became, everything's possible, even the impossible. And, you know, even though Ma uh, Mary Poppins, it's a fairy tale, it's, you know, it's imaginary, it's not really real, there's a lot of truth in that. Because Mary Poppins was not the first person to say that. Y'all know that, don't you? Jesus Christ said that. He said in Luke 18, 27, what is possible with man, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So today, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what kind of load you're carrying. I don't know what kind of burden you have. I don't know what kind of hopelessness you feel. And I don't even know if, if you think that it's even something that you would like to share because you may think it's just something so small that's really tearing me apart that if I were to share it, people would just think, they just kind of blow it off. But I just want you to know today, if it's important to God, it's, I mean, if it's important to you, it's important to God. And you are not hopeless because everything's possible, even the impossible. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for your love, and I thank you for your redemption. And I just pray today, God, that your word, it goes forth, and it does everything, Lord, that you want it to do, and nothing else, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story in John chapter 4 about a woman. And I just want to share that story with you this morning because I think Mary Poppins is a story of hope because the people are very hopeless. And in the end, everybody's just singing songs and flying away on balloons and just having everything's wonderful. And I think it's a story of how um, there's always hope. And you and I as Christians, we know that as long as we have Jesus, we always have hope. Nothing's impossible. In John chapter 4, it says, So he left Judea, and it's talking about Jesus, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
his disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So let's, let's just kind of set this up here. Um, I always like to get a picture of how things were and how, uh, what was going on. So let's just say that there was a well here, and Jesus was probably sitting over on the uh, back side of it. And as she came along, she probably couldn't see him. And she was carrying a water pot for her water, and she was coming along, and there's Jesus. And he asked her for something to drink and she said but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritans and Jews they don't have anything to do with Samaritans you see um, on the map if you look at it you'll see that um, Judea is here and Samaria is here and Galilee's here kind of like that and so if you were going from Judea to Galilee you had to go through Samaria but because of who the Samaritans were the Jewish people usually never did that they walked, they went around it. They came down the coast. They didn't go through Samaria because they considered the Samaritan people very low-class people. They, can, they were kind of like, they were not a pure breed of people, and they worshipped, they said that they worshipped Jehovah God, but then they also took in idol worship, and they mixed it all together. And so the, the Jews just thought that was, they just wouldn't have anything to do with them, especially the religious Jewish people. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. They'd look down on them because they were outcasts. And so here's this woman, and she comes to the well, and she has this huge water pot, and she says, you're a, you're, you're a Jew. Why are you talking to me? But it wasn't just because she was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And, you know, you've heard how women uh, were valued in those days. But I read um, up on this a little bit, and it said that a Samaritan woman was valued less than the cattle that her husband owned like his camels they were worth more than her she was way down here and women could not like speak to a man in public if she was not related to them and she couldn't count change like money coins from one hand to another a man to she couldn't touch that man because she was just so um, of no value to them and so not only was she a Samaritan but she was a woman and she was a woman with a very sinful past. And so she was looked down on not just by um, the Jews, but also by the Samaritans in her town. I mean, it says she came to the well at noon. Nobody came to the well at noon because it was the heat of the day. They came in the early morning so that um, it would be cool and they could get their water that they needed for that day. But she came in the heat of the day. And I can just kind of see her picture with that water jug. And maybe just kind of turning her head and hiding it and thinking that if there was somebody at the well, they wouldn't recognize her and they wouldn't find out who she is and they wouldn't begin to point or snicker or laugh or look down on her or make her feel ashamed or push her aside or, you know, turn her out, not let her join in the group that's standing around the well talking, but just shun her and push her out. I can just see her coming and then there's this man there and he begins to talk to her and he's a Jew. And um, so uh, he begins to talk to her. And, you know, last night in our um, small group, we were talking about being salt and light to the world. And we were talking, like, just, just how does that kind of look? And um, uh, Larry, Brother Larry was just telling us that it's just everyday life. You just 
go through your life and you live your life and you let the li your light of Jesus shine out. And, you know, I think Jesus is the perfect example of that because look what he's doing. He starts talking to her about water, just something very simple, just, just having a drink of water. He starts up a conversation with her about the water. And um, he tells her, he said, you know, she said, that you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you asking me for a drink of water? And he says, well, you know, if you knew who I really was, you would ask me for a drink. And, you know, she kind of says, yeah, you don't, you can't even get your own self a drink of water. You don't have anything to draw it out with. And they, they just have this conversation about water, and he keeps talking to her, and he keeps uh, that conversation going. You know, don't you know that had to be refreshing to her? If you had always been shunned and pushed out and never included, you know how it feels to not be included? And then this man just starts to have a conversation with you about just everyday things. And in um, verse 13 of chapter 4, he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to this well. You see, that's how I know she was desperate, that she was at the end of her rope. I think that she had lived such a life that she didn't think she could go another day. And in a minute, we're going we're gonna to start talking about that. But I think that, that she was at the point where she could not see any hope, and she felt like that she could not go another minute living her life. And I know that we've all had days like that. We've all had times where the pain was so real, the hurt, the depression, the anxiety, the abuse, the neglect, the just all that darkness that comes flooding in, we think we can't make it just one more day. And I think that's where she was. And the reason I think that is because of what she said, because he told her something impossible, and she just reached out and grabbed it. You see, if he had said that to me, and maybe to you, he just said, now I'm going to give you some water, and you're not ever going to get thirsty again. Instead, you're going to become a well. You're going to become a spring of water, and it's just going to flow out of you. If he had said that, I'd have probably thought, oh, I don't know, I had never seen that before. Or, well why don't you explain that to me and tell me just exactly how that's going to work but she didn't question it she didn't talk about it she just said give that to me I want that and today it's being offered to you whatever it is that you need he has the answer and don't let the enemy tell you that he doesn't and that you're desperate and you're alone and there's no hope believe me there is hope today and he has the answer for you and you know I think she was just so done with coming to the well and being um, embarrassed and being ashamed until she would do anything to keep from coming to that well again. And so she just reached out, and she just grabbed hold of that hope, that impossible thing he told her. She didn't understand it. There's no way she could understand it because you and I know that when you drink water in just a little while, you're going to need some more water. You can't drink a drink of water, and it lasts forever. 
but he told her that she would never have to come back to that well. She would never have to live that life again, and she just took hold of it. She didn't understand it. She just believed it, and that's what I'm asking you today, to take hold of Jesus and just believe him. You might not see the answer, and you might not know how it's all going to turn out, but just believe him and take hold of it because the, possible, the impossible is possible with Jesus. And so he told her, he said, well, why don't you go and... Um, verse 16 he said you go and get your husband and bring her him back here and I'll tell you all about this water I'm talking about and this is where the truth comes out she says I have no husbands and Jesus said you're right when you say you have no husband you've had five husbands and the man that you are now with is not your husband what you've said is true and the woman said I can see you're a prophet you see Jesus already knew all the stuff about her he knew she'd had five husbands. And, you know, I've thought about this. Why did she have five husbands? I mean, what was the deal there? And I thought, well, maybe she married the love of her life, and he was wonderful, and he was perfect, and maybe he died. Maybe she lost him. And then, you know, what grief and pain does to you, it, it scars you. And maybe she was taken in by another man, and, and he he abused her and he threw her out or or and maybe she had children and she was just trying to provide for them I, I don't know what the story is here I can just speculate that that maybe she just went through so much grief and pain maybe she just became a, a bitter nag you know and nobody could live with her you know I don't know what the deal was and maybe she was a mother it doesn't tell us but she's been married five times I would think that at some point she had a family and maybe she was just trying to take care of that family maybe she was just doing everything she could to take care of her children and I don't know what the story was but whatever it was Jesus knew all about it before he ever got there because you see it said he had to go to Samaria and I don't think it was because of the geography I don't think he had to go because you had to walk through there I think he had to go because he knew that there was a woman there that was hopeless, that needed some hope, that needed some water, needed some everlasting water, and he went. And, you know, then they start to have this conversation. And they have this conversation, and I don't think it's in the scripture that I got, but she kind of changes the subject when she finds out that he knows all about her. And they start talking about... Um, the mountains that you're supposed to worship in and some people say you should worship like this and some people say you should worship like that and she just started trying to kind of change the subject and, you know that's the way we are kind of you know when we start trying to when we start um, realizing the things in our life and sometimes we have to realize that it's not just Satan's fault like Rick talked about last week we always want to blame the devil sometimes we do things and get our own self in a mess and we have to kind of deal with those. And when the Holy Spirit starts to uh, bring those to us and convict us of those things, we kind of want to change the subject, start talking about other things, about worshiping and this and that, and change the subject. But Jesus just let her talk, and then he brought her back around because it's not always somebody's fault. And I believe that a lot of this in her life probably could have been other people's fault. But... It's not always somebody else's fault. Sometimes we have to repent of our past and our sins and let God redeem us and restore us. And we have to bring that to him and not just always blame somebody else and not just always say, the devil made me do it, you know. We have to deal with that. But he just let her talk. And then the woman, eventually, as she kept talking about all that, she said, 
Now, I know, I've heard that there is a Messiah, Jesus um, called Christ, and he's coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to me. I'll understand it. And then Jesus, he said, that's who you're talking to. I'm the one. I'm that Messiah. I'm the one that everybody's looking for. That's who I am. Right there in front of her. He was right there in front of her, and he told her, he said, I'm the Messiah. The one that all these people, this whole world has been looking for, I'm right in front of you. And, you know, he's right here today. Your answer is right here today. In a little while, we're going to come up and pray. And, you know what, your answer's here. It's, it's not um, out in the world. Uh, it's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not down the road. You can stand on that promise today. You can receive that promise today. And, you know, I believe that... Um, oh, when he told her that, that he, was the, that he could give her living water, and she said, I want that. And he told her that he was the Messiah, the one that everybody had been looking for that could change her life. You know, he didn't say, this is what I'm going to do. Now, I'm going to give you the perfect husband. He's going to be tall, dark, and handsome, and you're really going to like him. And he didn't say, and I'm going to... Uh, give you a home that you've always dreamed of, the life you've always dreamed of, and all these people in town that make fun of you, that laugh and snicker at you, I'm just going to give them a whole different view of you. He didn't say that at all. And you know, sometimes when the Lord starts to work our problems out, we get to thinking, we don't like the way he's doing it. There's been a lot of times that I've had a perfectly good way for God to fix things, and he does something different. And we don't like the way he's doing it. And he is so slow sometimes. And we just, we give up. We don't continue to have that faith and hold on to him and believe everything he said. Because he didn't change her life immediately. He didn't make all of it go away immediately. This is what I've learned about God. He doesn't waste anything. My parents, they grew up during the Depression. And, well, they lived through the Depression. They were grown. But... Um, they didn't waste anything. And um, we would be driving down the road, and my dad, he would see like an old lawn chair that somebody had threw on the side of the road, and the car would stop. He would get it, put it in the trunk, and he'd take it home, and I would think, oh, goodness, I hope anybody I go to school with doesn't live here and see us picking up trash on the side of the road. And he would take it home, and he would work on it, put it on the front porch. He was just that way. You didn't throw anything away. He'd always say, you might need that one day. My mother was the same way, too. She would um, save everything that she possibly thought could have a use because she always, she just knew what it was not to have things that you needed. And so she saved everything. And one day, um, not long before she was unable to live in the, her house alone, me and my sister were going to clean out her laundry room for her. And she had all these little scoops, you know, like you get in laundry detergent that you scoop it out with. And the powdered detergent and she had probably I would say about 30 kind of stacked around there and so I said well we probably need to throw these away and we said well we need to ask her you know make sure it's not gonna be a big deal and she said oh you, you can do a lot of things with those don't throw those away and I was like what can you do with those and she said it's like potting soil you can just scoop it out with those little scoops she said don't throw those away I might need those and I thought 30 of them, how much potting soil you got, you got, you know. But she saved everything. She didn't waste anything, and my dad didn't either. And that's the way God is. He just don't waste anything.
You see, I have learned that almost everything that we live through, and it may not come to an end, and it may not happen on time. He may not rescue right when you think you, he's going to. But what he's doing is he is taking all that junk and all that stuff that uh, Satan has used against you, and he's just taking it, and he's just using it for his glory. He's just turning it around. He's letting it build up so that all that stuff that Satan's used against you, he can use for his glory. And Satan will be sorry that he ever came against you in that way. So if you're standing in a place today and you think, I can't go another day, just wait. Victory's coming. And it will be so sweet. when It's like giving the devil a black eye. Everything that you thought you were going to take me down with, look what happened. God just took it and he turned it around and he made it into a powerful story that reaches other people, that affects other people's life, that lets my, his light shine through me and it gives the devil a, a black eye. Hang on, victory's on the way. He's not finished and he's not late even though we think he is a lot of times. I know I do. But um, not only do I think she was desperate, but I think when she taught after she left Jesus I think her life was totally changed and the reason I think that is because in verse 28 it says then leaving her water pot her water jar the woman went back to the town and said to the people come see a man who told me everything I ever did you see that little part up there it says leaving her water jar I think that was very important because I believe the Word of God nothing in the Word of God is there by accident I believe it has a purpose and I believe this is to let us know that her life changed she left the water pot there because she wasn't going to need it anymore she said I'm not coming back to this life anymore I'm not going to come back to this well anymore I, I don't need those things anymore I don't have I don't have to be ashamed of them anymore I'm going to leave it all right here with him because he knows how to take care of all those things and she was a changed person. And I think that another reason we know she's changed is because, it, look what it says, it said she went to the town, back to the town, and said to the people, the very people that she was trying to avoid that she didn't want to see, she said, come, come see a man that told me all I ever did. I don't think she just kind of moseyed into town and said, hey, come on, I got something to show you. I don't think that's the way it was at all. In my mind, that picture I get, she leaves that well, and she's running, and she's hollering and screaming and saying, everybody, come, come see the man I found. She's not ashamed anymore. She's not behind that water pot anymore. She's just, she's, she's trying to get everybody's attention. And think about it like this, though. Everybody... People then are just like people now. And you know how, what, how people are. People talk. And that's not a good thing sometimes. And sometimes it's even with us Christians. We don't let people live their past down. We always remember them by what they did way back then. And what they did in, when they were, before they came to Jesus. And I can just imagine that day as she went running into town. She had been changed, but those people hadn't been changed yet. And she went running into town, and I'm sure they saw her coming. Oh, look who's coming. Bob, husband, woman. Yeah. I heard that she was such a nag, nobody could even live with her. 
Look, there she comes. I wonder what she's screaming about now. I don't know what they said, but I'm sure they talked, and I'm sure they turned their back like they normally did, and they pushed her out, and she was not deterred in any way. She just kept talking, and she kept screaming, Come, come see a man that told me all I ever did. And if they were talking, she had the right answer for them. She said, I've met a man, and he knows all about me. All that stuff y'all are saying about me, he already knows it. You, you won't have to repeat it to him. He knows all about it. He told me before I ever told him. He told me all about it. He knew it. And you know what else? I'm okay. Because he said he knew how to handle that sin. He knew how to handle that shame. And he knew how to handle that depression and that pain and that abuse and that hurt. He knows exactly what to do with it. And he said, I'm okay. So you can talk if you want to. But... I've met a man who changed me, and he said, I'm okay. And she was telling them to come. You come and meet this man, because apparently she thought they needed changing too. She wasn't the only one. You see, she became a storyteller. She became, um, she told, her story was affecting them. It says, um, it says that, um, you know, it says that, that they came to see Jesus because of what she said, her words, her story. They knew her life, and they saw the difference in her, and she became that, that light to those people. A while ago when I was talking about Mary Poppins' movie, I mentioned Saving Mr. Banks. And um, that story is a true story, or it's based on a true story, of Pamela Travers, who wrote the Mary Poppins books. And uh, it's the story of how Walt Disney came to produce the Mary Poppins movie. And um, if you think about Pamela Travers, you, you probably think, well, she must have had a wonderful childhood to grow up and write Mary Poppins to make people all over the world laugh and feel so joyful. But you know, it's just the opposite. That movie, and I would suggest you go home and watch it if you're looking for a good movie to watch. And, um, she grew up with an alcoholic father that she loved so dearly. She was so close to him, and he loved her, and she loved him, but she literally watched him die in front of her. He, he, he had drank so much that he began to bleed um, out of his nose and his mouth, and she would see him in his pain, and it would break her heart, and, and she literally watched him die that day. And it so affected her that that the things, and, and you know, I don't want to spoil the movie for you, but you'll have to see it. The things that she went through and the things she did to overcome it, she grew up and wrote Mary Poppins that brought joy to everybody. You see, her story brought uh, happiness and joy to other people. And in the movie, um, there's a scene where Walt Disney, who's played by Tom Hanks, he's talking to, Mary, uh, to Pam Pamela Travers, and he's trying to convince her to let him make this movie. And she really doesn't want him to because she's like, this is my story. And, and I, you don't know what I went through to, to have this story. And I don't want you to take it and mess it up. And, and he's trying to convince her to, let him, to trust him with it. And he says this line that I thought was very fitting for us today. He said, that's what storytellers do. We instill hope again and again and again. And I just want to tell you today that you're a storyteller. Everybody here has a story. I know that. And you need to tell your story. And let me tell you why you need to tell your story. Because the pain that you've suffered, the hurt, 
whatever it is. Maybe it's broken relationships. Maybe it's home, family. I don't know what it is. The brokenness you've been through. Whatever it is, the only thing that makes it worth anything is when you see it touch someone else's life. I can think about a lot of things that I look back and I say, boy, I don't ever want to live through that again. But when I see that story touch somebody else, it makes it worth it. And you're a storyteller today, and your story's powerful. And I'll, let me tell you, there's a world out there, and they're dying to hear it. I literally, they're dying to hear it. Um, I know you've probably seen this quote before, but uh, it's by Eddie Cortez, and it just says, sometimes God uses broken people like you and me to rescue broken people like you and me. All that stuff you went through, God wants to just take it up, and he wants to see people's lives changed with it and bring glory to him and just give Satan a big black eye. Your story, whatever, and, I, and we've all got them. We've all got those hurt places, those dark places, those places that we don't really talk about all the time. We all have those, and the world needs to hear it today more than ever. You see... I don't know what, how you feel about your story, but let me tell you how Satan feels about your story. He thinks it's powerful, or else he would not. He would not try to stop you from telling it. He knows that your story is powerful. Otherwise, he would not try to constantly chip away at the miracle of you. I can imagine that woman as she was running into town, what he was saying. Hey, hey, those people, they don't believe you. They know who you are. They know what you've done. You better get back and get that water pot and get behind it. And she didn't let it deter her. She just kept running and telling people about Jesus. See, regardless of what you think about your story, Satan knows it's powerful and that it's life-changing. You know, sometimes you read things on Facebook and you think, well, I wish I hadn't read that, or I wish they hadn't posted that. Or, but sometimes you read stuff that's pretty good. And I did this week, and so I decided to include it. It said, one day you will tell your story of how you've overcome and what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. And you know what? I know there's people here today like that because I've talked with you, and you've told me, and you've shared your story with me of how your marriage seemed hopeless, and you didn't think there could ever be love again in your family and in your home, and God has redeemed it and restored it. Or about how your back was against the wall in your finances and you didn't have 30 cents to your name. And somehow, some way, by a great miracle, God just, he reached down and he restored your, your finances. He restored your, um, the, the things you needed. He provided for you. And there's people here sitting here that have a story about depression and anxiety and hurt and abuse and neglect and shame. You see, Satan's big on shame. He wants you to think that you can never overcome anything and that you should always hang your head. But let me tell you, one day all that stuff you've been through, you're going to share it with somebody and they're going to grab hold of it. And they're going to use it to take the next step. They're going to use it to say, God, if you did it for them, you'll do it for me. And they're going to use that as part of their survival guide. So all I can say is tell your story. Because last week, Rick talked about, you know, being doing just enough to get to heaven. Just enough to, to make it in. And I was thinking this week, we can just go on and live our life. And we don't have to share the gospel. I mean, and we can just make it into heaven. 
We can be just Christian enough to make it into heaven. But let me tell you something. If we're just Christian enough, we're going to lose this battle here. It's time that church and Christians and people of God stood up and started telling their stories. They started being storytellers and telling how they've overcome by the power of God. And if we don't, we're going to lose this nation, folks. We're going to lose it. The only hope is Jesus Christ. And we have to share that because you and I know that hope. You and I know about it. We know it. We've experienced it. And we know it's not a fairy tale. We know it's not imaginary. It is for real. And we need to start sharing that story. Because I feel like there's a battle for our future here, where we are in our nation and in our culture. There's a battle here for the very soul of our our culture and nation. And Paul talked about it like this. He said that we're living sacrifices. Now, in the Old Testament... You know, they came and they offered sacrifices of dead animals. They would sacrifice them on the altar and it would go up before the Lord. But this is the New Testament that we live in. And Jesus was the sacrifice for all our sins. And now we're, we're, our sins are washed away and we're covered by his blood. So we're not, we don't have to offer up a sacrifice of an animal. But, but uh, in Romans it says that, we're the sacrifice. We're the living sacrifice. That doesn't even sound possible. I thought a sacrifice was something that died. We die to ourselves, And we just walk around living for him and lifting him up. We're that living sacrifice. And then Paul went on and said, you know what? That's just reasonable service. You may think, I don't have time to do that. I can't do that. I got stuff going on. I got people to see and places to go. And I don't have time for that. Paul said, it's just reasonable. Because look at the cross. Look at what Jesus did. And after that... Just telling people about him, that's just reasonable service. That's what he said. You and I are living sacrifices, just lifting up Jesus and leading people to him. And this world needs that today more than ever. And I just want to encourage you, if, you're, if you have a story, and we all do, you need to tell your story every chance you get. I know we think, well, I don't want to be a Jesus freak or anything, and people look around at me like I'm crazy. I think we're at the point where it just don't care. We're kind of desperate. We're kind of like the Samaritan woman. We need, to, we need to start telling our story every chance we get. We need to start praying every day, God, give me opportunity to share my story. Put somebody in my path that what I know can help them. Put, let my eyes be open to them. Every opportunity, don't let me miss it. I think we need to start praying like that every day. In verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Her testimony, they believed, of what had happened in her life. Because it said they believed when, they, when she told them, he told me everything I ever did. They already knew everything she did, and they believed because of that sin and because of that hurt and because of that pain and that abuse and that neglect and that depression and that anxiety. They already knew all that, and because they saw the difference in her life, in her story, they believed and they came to Jesus. And later on, if you'll go home and you'll read that uh, chapter 4 there in uh, John, it, uh, it'll talk about how not only did they listen to her story and receive her story and believe on him, they went and found Jesus with her, and they went and got more people and brought them to Jesus, and the city was saved because of the Samaritan woman. And so my question today is, if he can use a... You know, a shameful, poor Samaritan woman and her story to save a city, then why can't he use you and your story to save a city? I believe that. 
And why can't he use my story? And why can't he use this church? I believe he can. You see, I, we have big dreams for this church. I love to come to church. I love this church, and I love all you people, and I love to come. But this is just the beginning, folks. I believe that we have great things to do, and God can use this church to reach a city, and he can use you to reach a city. Maybe in your workplace, you need to start a Bible study, or in your school, or, or, or I don't know, wherever you are every day, you need to start speaking the Word of God and telling your story because this world needs to hear it, and it's the only hope. It's the only hope for this world is Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.